keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> total. Marks with Dan St. Germain. Are you guys able to hear me okay? I have this thing. Is it you clear? sound good to me. You sound really good to me. Yeah, you sound good. good to me too. Okay, everybody great. Sounds good. Everybody is, is everybody ready? Yep. I'm I'm ready, yeah. Um all right. Welcome everybody to Total F and Marks. I am the King of Sad Sal, the St. Germain event. Joining me as always, Sergeant Slaughterhouse, Scotty Chaps. Gentlemen. Zach Attack. Hello again. And our guest, he's going to do the whole 10 count. He runs the funniest wrestling Twitter account, WWE Creative-ish. He's worked for WWE. He's worked for MLW. He's worked for the Carolina Panthers. Robert Carpolis, everybody. Hey, thank you. Uh, nice to be here. It's actually the Florida Panthers. Uh, we oh, are the... right. Sorry, the wrong, wrong animal. That's right. We're the redheaded stepchild of the Panther sports franchise family. I remember the last time I talked to you, you were telling me that, like, for a while, <laughs> their uh, their mascot was Kevin Spacey. Like, as, like, yeah. a, a fun, ironic thing. And then, you know, all that stuff came out about them. And they had to just, I guess, ditch all the merch they had. Like, yeah, we... Uh, the the Panthers, I don't know. Um, we we took the Chicago Cubs mantle of most uh, most cursed franchise, and everything we do that we thought was going to be good went up blowing up in our faces. The Kevin Spacey thing came about because a couple of our players were playing in New York, and they were at a a bar after, and Kevin Spacey was there, and he came over to the table and was and he uh, and hit on all of them. <laughs> So it's funny you say that. That's basically kind of what happened. He was <laughs> oh he introduced God. him, and he was kind of like a little lecherous and a little handsy with massaging. He's like, oh, big, strong athletes. So the players, as an inside joke, were kind of making fun of it. And then there's a tradition with every hockey team when somebody's the internal MVP of the locker room, they usually have to wear something ridiculous for post-game interviews. And somebody found this sweatshirt. of a, It was a picture of Kevin Spacey's head floating in space and it was a spacey in space sweatshirt so they had it made and and sent it down to whoever the mvp of every game was would wear it and it just kind of caught on and it was the year that the panthers were actually doing really well and winning and we started making the sweatshirts part of it went to kevin spacey's foundation and he came out for a game and uh subsequently i think they've kind of had to uh Chris Benoit, him from the history of the <laughs> Panthers organization. Yeah. So you said this is the first week you've watched both NXT and Dynamite. Thank you for that. Now, yeah. Uh, my question is, so does that mean you just watch Raw every week? So I watch Raw live, uh, obviously for the Twitter account. Uh, SmackDown, since they've moved to Friday nights, 
I, I stopped live tweeting the show. I, I found that the live audience that's watching it on, on a Friday is, uh, has diminished significantly and, and people didn't seem to mind all that much that it wasn't getting covered. So yeah. I'll usually zip through it pretty quickly Saturday just to see what's going on. The, the problem is, as a, as a married man, especially a married man living in, in quarantine, the amount of time that my TV is not on either children's programming for the kids or uh, house hunters is very, very limited. So to, <laughs> yeah. so to tell my wife, hey, I've just been working remotely for 12 hours. I'm going to go sit and voluntarily watch four additional hours of pro wrestling. Um, it's, a good way to lose, it's a good way to lose half my stuff. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> yeah. So in general, what do you what do you think about? The, I mean, we'll get to the ten count, but in 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 general, what do you think about the show lately? Which show? Monday Night Raw. So the empty arena Raws are it's uncomfortable to watch in a lot of ways. It's mm-hmm. it's tough when you don't have the audience and you lose a lot of that electricity. And what I feel bad about is there's a lot of guys that they have who should have the right momentum going forward, and you just don't know. I think Drew McIntyre is, Drew McIntyre is the first guy that the WWE has anointed as their top person in a decade that actually feels like he has a chance of getting over with the mainstream audience. You know, it's, I remember the backlash for, for Cena and Batista years ago when, when uh, – they were they were the anointed guys. I remember the major backlash, obviously, for Roman Reigns. I feel like McIntyre seems like the first guy who could avoid it, but not having that live audience, you're losing the chance for him to to get. And I, I kind of feel bad for uh, for him for that. the The show overall is tough to get through. It's strange that it's a it's a Paul Heyman product. And sometimes you see that come through, but at the end of the day, it's very much a Vince McMahon product. It is a Vince McMahon three-segment match product. I, I, part of that is three hours, and I think it's just really hard for them to... And last question I'll get before we get into the 10 count. Have you had people from... like Because you worked at WWE. Has anyone from where you worked contacted you and gotten pissed off at a tweet? Or have they just tried to no-sell it? So, yes and no. There's a couple people who were not thrilled about something that I may have tweeted about them, and they made it known to me before blocking me. Uh, most of them are pretty savvy to how social media works. I know we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, during the 10. Um, but in general... And you can't wrestlers, repeat who those are to us. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll, you, I'll, you know, I'll give a perfect example. Um, since he's not there anymore and I don't really give a shit. Uh, Enzo Amore was yeah. a huge fan of the account, very supportive, which was, yeah. which was great. Uh, the second I made a joke about him, sent me a nasty message, blocked me on, on Twitter. And somehow I've managed to persevere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they. I, I don't think. Uh, I think Enzo could use a house to hunt right now. I mean, I guess for him it would be more like abandoned van hunters. Let's get to the ten count. Number one, Twitter mayhem. We are uh, with somebody who actually knows how to use social media. Let's talk about a couple people who do not. Uh, who do you think had the worst social media week? I think we're at this point, Jackson Riker 
uh, either cross paths with a black cat or just stomped on it because <laughs> this has got to be the biggest collapse of somebody in such a short period of time, possibly ever. <laughs> What's amazing about this is it's the gift that keeps on giving because first during uh, on Monday, uh, it wasn't even during Raw, it was Monday, I didn't see the tweet because apparently he blocked me, which I didn't know who Jackson Riker was, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I knew he was one of the Sons of Anarchy dudes, but uh, wasn't sure yeah. which one. Um, sends out the tweet, which is, this is what's strange about 2020. He sent out a tweet in support of the President of the United States, and that got him nuclear heat beyond all recognition. <laughs> <laughs> If this was during the Obama administration and a, and a wrestler tweeted out something in favor of Obama and it led to him being blacklisted from the industry almost overnight, it would be unheard of. But now in 2020, the most radical thing you can do is is do that. Um, and, and quite frankly, the president. And then he uh, right afterwards, he you, you, I didn't know this, but he posted a picture of him super tan and it said soul man from that. 1980s. Well, I think that was from a while ago, right? Yeah, his uh, his people have now started diving into his past tweets and his past Instagram posts, and he had a a picture of him overly tan and and made the reference to the Soul Man movie, which I mean, all the kids love. See Thomas Howell. That's pretty. That's right within our <laughs> mo. It was back yeah, when he's blackface was seven, and I feel like see Thomas Howell is even old for him. It's a stretch, but I feel like when you're that racist, you love that kind of movie. <laughs> the best thing that happened to, to Jackson Riker was not only did he get crushed by a lot of wrestlers who pointed out, like, hey, you're clearly not an ally of ours, and we can't wait to get you in the locker room. It was that he ended his tweet using his catchphrase, and Kevin Owens called him out on Twitter immediately for yeah, how stupid that is. So not only does he look like a racist, he looks like a mark for himself. And <laughs> yeah. this might be it for, uh, for, for Jackson Riker for a little while. He might go to Lars Sullivan land. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I wish, but I, I, I don't know. Lars Sullivan land. I, I wonder if that guy's ever coming back. They still have him on the roster. You think still, Vince puts him in, in a bunker? <laughs> you think Vince has a bunker for these guys and like Lars has been there for a year now you bring him down <laughs> honestly yeah, I, for, for Vince his name is Lars and you're putting him in a bunker uh, I, he's coming out in a 1939 Stormtrooper uniform I can feel it yeah I mean that looks he looks like he looks like something the Nazis unleash in Wolfenstein like in the last level you know he has that look about him uh yeah that that was i mean sunny and linda hogan the only thing i, I don't know if you read the linda hogan tweet they, they, they were pretty bad but uh you know also tony khan like right afterwards i guess called her out and it's like you're banned as if Lin a divorced linda hogan is gonna come to an AEW show to me, it kind of read like in Clerks when the lady tells him to fuck off and he screams after her, you're banned from this store. <laughs> that was what this felt like. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, I mean, it was definitely, it's, it's just really, it, it's just kind of bizarre. Like I was talking to Scott about this, that this, the same, like, look, if you're Tony Khan, you need to do stuff like tweet Black Lives Matter. You need to have stuff like, 
promotional videos. But if you're going to, like, call out Linda Hogan, then, like, I don't know, maybe book Sonny Kiss better. You know, <laughs> there's, like, a few people on his roster that I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's not like you guys are, like, putting black people over every fucking two seconds. Yeah. I think the the overall booking of, of AEW, which uh, I'm sure what we'll touch on later can be suspect, but uh, I think Tony Khan sometimes gives in to the fanboy impulses more than anything else. And this one just, some people I saw uh, liked it. Uh, some people thought it just, it made him look kind of amateurish. It's not the kind of thing that Vince would really ever do. Not that Vince understands how Twitter works, but it was a very strange way to kind of go after somebody who has nothing to do with the industry, but it was a chance to really be like, look at how great I am and, and make the story about him. And it just, it, it didn't fully sit right with me. Now I might be banned from AEW shows. Yeah. You're banned from AEW shows. No, I mean, like, look, I, I think that it was, it was pretty great that they, they seemed like they got uh, on top of at least supporting you know, the cause faster than other organizations, but I just thought that, that was a little disingenuous. But the MVT, the MVP of this week's Twitter meltdown, none other than Hall of Famer Sonny. I can't even repeat what she said, uh, but it's rough. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, she definitely drops an N-bomb. You can look them up. Uh, although, you know, like, with her, I guess it's like, you know, if you're a cam girl model, it's less of a, no, <laughs> you, I, I, no, I think she it's, can't be. No, she can't be fired. I'm trying to say, it's like oh, a okay, like uh, a scandal. Without a doubt, she said the worst thing. But it's almost like if a if a trailer falls in the trailer park and no one's there, does anyone, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. It it uh, I, I it was definitely uh like one of the sadder ones, I guess, because you you know her you know, these last years have been rough for her and uh, you just go like, oh, well, here's another, you, you know, here's why. Like, clearly, uh, you know, you, you need a lot of work on yourself and it's just not happening. That, that's why it made me sad because it's like, oh, damn, this, this woman has has done really nothing to um, to change whatever has been going on with her. It was so crazy too because she, uh, she was awesome, you know, when she was a heel manager. And just, I don't know, like, I guess the drugs or the racism or the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can be an awesome heel manager and be a complete piece of shit. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of fits with the... Like, who gives... She used to be hot. Okay, who gives a shit? Like, yeah. I think I'm one of the rare people who, uh, like, find her attractive now. She's very obtainable. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Okay, there we go. Thank you for exposing... The issue I have. <laughs> yeah, She's like cheaper than a cameo. Be, <laughs> like if you came, like if you came to me tomorrow and were like, "I really want," I think I got a shot with Sonny. I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely have a shot." Oh yeah. Oh. There's no way you don't have a shot. Uh, number two, where does the Jeff Hardy drunk driving angle land on WWE's bad taste meter? surprisingly this week i think it's second no well yeah coming from the company i think it's second coming from creative i think it's the second worst creative decision this week i guess think? i'm so numb to it at this point that it didn't even register to me as being that much of bad taste and just lazy booking 
they've done some version of this story before the Jeff Hardy falling off the wagon piece. Uh, CM Punk eviscerating this story by, by pointing out the cop who smells the beer and immediately goes, ah, Jeff Hardy. That, that guy is, uh, is the MVP of this entire angle. But <laughs> I don't know who this is appealing to. I think this is, this is, they're trapped in that performance center and it's slowly turning into purgatory and every <laughs> bad impulse and dumb idea just sounds even better. It's, well, let, let's really embarrass Jeff Hardy for, for being a, a drunk. So we'll do this story where clearly he's been framed and I'm sure there'll be security footage. My, my favorite part of that whole story was they interview Braun Strowman as he's pulling up to the building and then Braun Strowman's not on the rest of the show. <laughs> They're universal champion. The Universal Champion shows up to the building with luggage. Sorry, champ, you're not booked. <laughs> I didn't. Everyone was like making fun of his acting this week. It was pretty bad, but I, I actually thought it was going to be worse before I uh, before I got there. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, after I guess I saw like what, what did they have like Hawk drunkenly jump off the tri- Titantron, like do like a fake suicide one time. Yeah, yeah. He was drunk and fell off the top of the uh, the Titantron. Yeah, that seems uh, that seems way worse. What's sad about it is the the real times that Jeff Hardy performed when he was messed up in, in Impact are are highlighted even more because yeah. there there was that match with him and Sting where they had to go out and basically just stop it because he was in no condition to work. Yeah, right. Bringing that up to the to the audience not a just not a great idea. And it's this is supposed to be his redemption story, which we've gotten a few times. I hope that this is going to be a happy ending, but we're pretty close to his last uh, falling off of the wagon. I think it was sometime last year. This could come back to bite him, which it did when they did the angle with him and Punk, where they, he ultimately got fired because he, I think that was the time he either burned down his house or they caught him with pills for intent to distribute or, or something. And I, I, I think an important point to bring up is that after that, Matt Hardy tweeted, like, you know, again, I am very happy to be working for AEW. And, <laughs> and you, I mean, these are brothers who, like, are not at odds, you know? This isn't, like, a shitty wrestling family. They seem to love each other very much and communicate. Yeah, they they share the same property, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so, yeah. Or at least they used to. And so for him to say that means that I'm sure him and Jeff have spoken and Jeff was like, man, this sucks ass. Yeah. But maybe they promise that after this they'll do uh they'll do that cool motor motorbike uh match that he pitched a couple weeks ago. <laughs> they'll let him start showing his paintings on air. Yeah, exactly. There's gotta be a what's compromise even, here. What's even funnier about this is I, I started having flashbacks because you're making Jeff Hardy look bad until they ultimately reveal that this was all staged. And years ago, we were doing a storyline with Eddie Guerrero and Batista. And the gag was Eddie was pretending to be Batista's friend, but was really yeah, yeah, still one. A, a scumbag heel. So we were trying to come up with ideas. So I stole an idea from The Simpsons the, um, when uh, Homer is getting interviewed and they clearly edit it to make him look like he's a sexual pervert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was that Eddie sets up uh Batista with oh I got this great opportunity for you going to do an inter- a local interview talk about how much you love the fans and clearly it's recut where it's Batista saying you know you know uh, I think they're awful or something like like something stupid like that 
And Vince got very upset. He's like, we can never portray our, 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 our baby face superstars in a way in which they may be looked upon negatively by the audience. And it's, it's unbelievable. Meanwhile, in 2020, we're in a world of deep fakes and all that would have, would have fit in. But he seems to have no problem making Jeff Hardy look like he's off the wagon and basically almost killed Elias, which is a great way to keep yourself, yourself a babyface because anything keeping Elias off TV, I'm there for. <laughs> You're a guy, you were a big Elias, Mark, the last time I talked to you. This was a couple of years ago. When he, so was, when, he was like in that heel, he had all that heel heat. When he had the heel heat and it was keeping him out of the ring from wrestling and just singing his shitty songs, that was fine him wrestling or him as a baby face Ugh. is uh he can't rest. no he can't and they're coming up with every way possible he's going through every one of the uh springfield softball team fates they're yeah. gonna they're gonna light him on fire and push him into a uh, a pit of the unknown <laughs> <laughs> hey if you imagine like how crazy what because i heard that like right around that time the batista time like when he was getting the push that's when vince went really crazy was like after he tore both quads at that rumble yeah. that cena and batista won yeah i i had i had post quad tear vince and uh things would change pretty rapidly from the morning to the afternoon to the evening to while the show is going on this looks nothing like what we had discussed 24 hours earlier that's crazy. Part of the fun of being uncreative. Is Number it is it like truly pandemonium when that happens, or is there kind of a protocol to deal with that type of everything's changing? I mean, you there can't be a protocol for it, right? It's just madness. So what winds up happening is, at least back uh, in in my day, um, you go over that script dozens and dozens of times and it's very much whoever gets in Vince's ear last that's who wins so if you look at a, if you look at the work week Wednesday to Tuesday since back then was a Tuesday night show Wednesday you're you're back from TV Wednesday afternoon you're starting to kind of formulate the show Thursday the the writing team sit down and they map out the you know, raw sides mapping out there Smackdown's mapping out their side uh, I was primarily Smackdown when I was there so Thursday we have a rough rubric and then Thursday night we would have to fax the script to Vince's house because he didn't know how to open PDFs or email attachments. So you'd have to fax the script. Then Friday we have a conference call or I'm sorry, it's an in-person meeting with Vince where we go over the script with him. So at this point it, the writers have seen it. Stephanie has seen it. She's given her feedback. We go over it with Vince and it's very much so the writers reading whatever their segment is, and then Stephanie has to interpret it to Vince to kind of filter it through for him. Uh, and, and if she likes the idea, make sure he doesn't veer off the path. Then the show gets rewritten again Friday night, faxed to Vince again. Saturday morning, we have a conference call with Vince. We all have to come into the office. He's at home. Um, we go over the script again. And sometimes, like, like, a, like an Alzheimer's patient, it's his first time hearing it. And he'll give brand new feedback we never saw coming then we rewrite the show again saturday sunday assuming we're traveling we're on the plane he goes over the script again more changes monday you get to tv we do the agent meeting where all the uh the producers hear the show for the first time and they start giving their feedback and depending on vince's mood and depending on pat patterson's mood Pat, who doesn't know what long-term booking was for any of the shows, will give his feedback on this specific episode. 
make changes and Vince will agree with it. And then all of a sudden we now have a brand new match, a brand new finish, a brand new, who knows what. Then it goes through, then it goes through a meeting with the production people where we've now gone through what's supposedly the locked show, unless something strikes Vince's fancy between that and on the air. And there are times during the show where you're running around with a new version of the script to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Wow. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. I think the advantage they have right now being this pre-taped audience-free world is it's a little bit easier to keep things straight. And, and even if what Paul Heyman is producing right now is not a Paul Heyman quality show, he's slipping some of it in. But for the most part, the, the trains are running on time. There's a three-hour TV show that's on every Monday night that's satisfying their contract with advertisers. And at this point, it's the best they can hope for. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. That's a lot of eyes on it. Um, I actually I interviewed for their, them right before the pandemic, and it was it was just very weird. I was like put in a room for six hours to. I, I met various people, but I don't know. It, it felt like like harsh, like a partial hazing or something. I'm not really sure what to make of it. They they did the same thing to me. Uh, they left me in a, in a random conference room, like, oh, Stephanie will meet with you in a few minutes. And it was about two hours later that she comes yeah. in. So they, they really let it kind of build up. And then the meeting wasn't in this conference room. She's like, oh, we're going to go meet my office on a totally different floor. Wow. They like their mind games. It's, it's, their, it's their fun. They think it's the Sopranos or some shit. That's way too new of a reference for Vince. <laughs> Number three, morale at WWE. Yeah, how does this, I mean, how does this even like, like, I'm of course talking about the, the 20% pay cut and wrestlers being forced to watch shows for 10 hours straight. <sighs> Yikes. I mean, how do you even, I guess you can't even, like when you're there, this is a, it's good to ask you this, like, if somebody, like this 10-hour filming, like somebody in the like some poor wrestler is going to stand on his feet for 10 hours. I mean, there's just, there's no way to push back and be like, yeah, we can't do this. This isn't. I mean, you definitely can. You won't work there ever again, but you can absolutely uh, voice your concern. All you really need to know about the the mindset of what this place is right now is how quickly Roman Reigns has been erased from modern history because he had the audacity to say, you know what, I've just overcome a life-threatening illness. Uh, I believe his, his wife is, is pregnant. And yeah. you know what, yeah, I'm not going to show up and, and risk getting COVID uh, because you've given me the option of staying home and I'm your biggest star that you have. And then they immediately just erase him from existence. Yeah. And, and I actually think that's only going to get worse. I think um, when things get back to normal, Vince is going to feel like, see, you didn't die. And therefore, you could have been here. It's going to get even stranger, I think. I think you're going to see like a big, a big welcome back and then a kind of a, a, a mid-card um, situation for him. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leaving eventually. At this point, I don't think Roman cares. I yeah, think he I has believe made... that too. Yeah. You know, he was prepared to be done forever when, when, he, when the, the leukemia scare came. I'm sure he loaded his money into the proper investments. He started making the inroads into Hollywood. 
He's got the right connections. He's got the right cousin. He would do just fine if he never wrestled again. Absolutely. What's unfortunate is he was finally starting to turn the corner with the audience, and they were starting to remember why they liked him right before this happened. And I think that's part of the bitterness. And I think it, it, Vince likes to see a locker room leader who's never going to complain. Mm-hmm. It's why The Undertaker was the horse that he rode. Undertaker rarely left for injuries unless he needed to for surgery. He's the guy who never left for WCW. He never caused problems. He is the, the only untouchable wrestler that there, that there really is. Uh, and they still put him in shitty matches. So, and he doesn't complain. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I could see – how interesting would it be if, like, they start booking him in the mid-card and then, like, people online realize, like, oh, he's getting buried because – he sat out during the pandemic and then he has like a Daniel Bryan run. <laughs> like, like, like it almost flips, like it reverses. Maybe this was Vince's plan all along. He found a way to make Roman a sympathetic internet baby face. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you who I'm really, who I'm really worried about. He had are... Briscoe go, he had, firstly had Briscoe scout out a bat in Wuhan and was like, all right, this finally, we got to find someone to put Roman over. Gerald, Gerald wrestled, wrestled the bat down. He was scouting it from Kent State. It was a hell of an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm really worried about, though, in all seriousness, are the, the performance center kids that are the audience. Because I just have this fear of Vince getting mad that they're clapping wrong or they're cheering wrong. And they get that, that reaction that when Paul London smiled before the Vince limo explosion, that there's going to be one wrong cut of some NXT kid who wasn't clapping enthusiastically enough for somebody or, or booing vociferously enough. And Vince just sees him and goes, I don't ever want to see that guy on TV again. And that's a legitimate, genuine concern. Yeah. Jeez. Like, I feel like he saw Shotzi Blackheart's green hair because they put her right by the, right, right by the Tron that Vince got sick of seeing it and then moved her because she did get relocated during that episode of raw. So there goes her push. Yep, that's that's the end of her. They're going to make her dye her hair in a month. Number four, WWE Institute's diversity training post-George Floyd. Uh, apparently, it's just like two. They're doing, they have a number that you can call, which I, I don't know. I don't know what number. Like For 24-7 counseling, there's a number. I really hope that number goes to a place that's in – Outside of WWE, I hope it's not like if you ever if you ever have a racial problem, call my house any time of day. You know, it, it goes to JBL's cell phone. <laughs> what what was your racial training like at WWE? Um, that's a great question. Try not to do anything offensive in front of civilians. That was basically it. That was basically it. Um, we were we were still edgy TV fourteen. I mean, look, it's a it's a real company. There's a real HR training program, but there was always kind of that wink wink nudge nudge of when you're in the the closed door room or the writers room, all of the the touchy feely HR stuff that all the other departments deal with doesn't really exist. So you'll get yeah, that's you know, that's definitely yeah, that's that's how it is in most writers' rooms. You can't really have it. But I guess I'm more talking about like, I don't know, from the talent there. You know, there's that story where uh, uh, Michael Hayes said something on a bus and then Mark Henry, you know, um, 
Uh, was, oh, that was on was that was right? on stage, I believe. You were there? Was on stage. Were there? No, I was not. No, I was not there for that. But I've definitely heard that uh, that story. Um, yeah, crazy. I was I was there for Katrina, mm-hmm. so that was a very touchy moment because there was going to be a Katrina benefit show on all the networks the night that I believe SmackDown was supposed to debut on Friday nights. And I know that there was some grumblings from from some people not happy about that uh, for this particular that this the national disaster uh, was potentially bumping the Friday Night SmackDown episode that was going to air on UPN. Yeah, you're like this is no Westminster Dog Show. <laughs> <laughs> they literally got bumped for that every year. Well, also when it comes to tra- you know training like this and like implementing a thing like this, like. It had, I mean, it's been clear for so many for so long, but like, especially this week, it's like, oh, these issues, you know, they start from the top, you know, it's not, it's like Vince is the one that needs that training. You know, the guys around him are the one that need that training as well. I mean, everybody does, but it's like, what's Vince doing about this for himself as a person? And the answer is nothing. And so it's like, oh, it's just bullshit. So they don't really need it because most of the talent that's there, uh, with the exception of Gunner, um, knows how to conduct themselves professionally. This is not the, the, the roster from the 80s or the 90s where, where you had a lot of real outlaws. These are very media savvy people. Yeah. Uh, it's a diverse roster. It's an, it's an intelligent roster. And the bulk of the younger leadership that's there, whether it's locker room leaders or, or behind the scenes, they're not going to stand for that kind of stuff. This is a publicly traded company and they need to protect their, their image at all costs. This yeah. is why Hogan had to go away for a while. Um, this is why it'll be interesting to see how they handle this Jackson Riker situation. But the, the company is very cognizant of how they are being presented during this and they will do everything they can to, promote the Black Lives Matter movement and make the inclusion feel genuine while at the same time not totally upending Trump because Linda was tied to that administration. Uh, I believe she may still have the job working on the re-election campaign, which is basically the second coming of the XFL, the way this is going to go. But uh, <laughs> they are they're towing a, a different line, and that's why AEW can go all in because, no pun intended, um, not only are they doing the, the Black Lives Matter at the top of the show, uh, Tony Khan's father was the first NFL owner to really come out in favor of we need to really address equality and, and race in this country. I did not know that. I really don't know much about uh, his father. His father has a great mustache. That is that is how I knew who he was. That's how everybody in sports knew who owned the Jaguars. The fucking that because, Persian mustache man is fucking pretty strong. It's like a, like Persian Captain Crunch. It's it's fantastic. I love it. I love it how we're like we need to institute more. We need to be less. Uh, less <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I know, right? He's like a Persian Captain Crunch. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. No, it's, <laughs> it's just funny. No, I every time I see him, I picture him doing those giant club things like the Iron Sheik over his head. Oh yeah, <laughs> yep. we, uh, we just watched that on our Patreon episode. We watched the uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik versus the Bushwhackers at Heroes of Wrestling, and uh, it is as good as you think it is, Robert. 
you are not getting paid enough from whatever Patreon is giving you <laughs> to sit through the, how the heroes through, how, say how the heroes of wrestling the four worst Meltzer rated matches of all time so that was the Triple Mania main event Roddy Piper, Mr. T boxing match Hogan Warrior the second time at WCW and uh, the match I just mentioned, the Bushwhacker match so not the Jackie Gata match? I would have thought that would have been. I think that's. I think that's higher up. Wow. I, I think the the Mr. T boxing one is not fair because you can't. Yeah, that's what it, Scott it, was saying. It, I, I I like it, man. For what it is, I like it. It's hard to truly hate Piper in that era, just because he's got such energy and and uh, vibrancy to him. I'm sure it's it's garbage. I, I haven't seen that match in years, it's but it's not as bad as the rating yeah. for sure. Yeah, but it's also it's it's Meltzer, and sometimes he has skewed perspectives on things. Yeah, especially in a time where like that wasn't so common, you know, to get a celebrity and they're boxing, they're not wrestling, and it it probably seemed so foreign to him that he was like, I have to rate this poorly. This is not professional wrestling. What I'm curious about tying back to your 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 last uh, episode uh, is I'm shocked that there has not been a dark side of the ring about that Heroes of Wrestling pay per view. Because there's so much sadness that's tied to those. I feel like there's got to be some stories. Jake the Snake relapsed. Ton of stuff. It's a gold mine for for that show. It's fucking... And they can just interview people who paid for it, and they're just crying. (laughs) 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 They have, like like pay-per-view experts on explaining <laughs> like yeah. how shitty like they how they made the cheapest decisions of everything <laughs> yeah all the phone calls they got after it <laughs> uh number five gronk is no longer your 24 7 champion as if this week couldn't get bad enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's he's the real he's the real victim it was uh how much money do you think they lost on that guy I think that they got everything that they needed to out of Gronk. I think that they probably worked out a, a, a deal with him. They got the WrestleMania publicity of him being associated with it. He didn't completely embarrass himself because it was all pre-taped. So you didn't have to really worry about it. And quite frankly, this kind of spares us having to see Gronk actually wrestle a match. So the only real loser here is probably Mojo Raleigh who's trying hard not to answer his cell phone from any uh, Stanford, Connecticut area codes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they answer, he's like a tin, like a, like a tennis ball and like a tin can. He's like, ah, the storms are coming. Tornado's coming. Well, he's on Cricket Wireless, so there's no way he's going to get connected anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, how would you guys book Otis to the main event of WrestleMania? So the reason I left creative was to not have to deal with worrying about shit like this. <laughs> but you're not, you're anti-Otis. So I, I have given this, I gave this actual legitimate serious thought. Um, okay. I, or at least I tried as best I could. I think the Otis problem right now is kind of like what I was talking about with Drew McIntyre. We don't know how the audience is really going to respond to Otis. They have pushed this guy incredibly hard, kind of as a fluke, kind of, kind of as, a, as a gag. He could be the next McFoley. He could be the next Eugene. Sure. 
you really don't know, but if you want to get him to the main event of Mania and make it mean something, you need to tell the story in, in a way that they just, to make it feel special that they don't really necessarily do a lot of right now, which is you would need to bring Vince McMahon back on TV. Oh, and no. <laughs> Vince, no, no, because Vince, Vince hates being on television now. He's very self-conscious about how he looks. He never saw himself really as an on-camera kind of person. But you need a story that's going to unite the, the audience so that there's no chance that they're really going to hate Otis. And the story really needs to be that Vince McMahon is coming out from behind the curtain to basically say, you know, all right, Otis is going to cash in the, the Money in the Bank briefcase at, at WrestleMania. And he's going to be the main event. He's going to be the face. And he's going to be on the posters. Vince has built his legacy. And he's not going to let a guy like Otis, who's fat, who's ugly, who's slow, who's fat, be the face <laughs> of the WWE, let alone be his champion, let alone be his champion at WrestleMania. So now your story is really Otis, the ultimate underdog, going up against the WWE champion who, unfortunately, I thought this through, would have to be Sheamus. It would have to it be would Sheamus. Have to, it would have to be Sheamus because you have to have someone that even the smarky fans won't cheer for. And it was either going to be Sheamus or Baron Corbin, but there's no way in the world the universe would allow Baron Corbin to main event at WrestleMania. Oh, uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're barely holding this country together as it is. So Sheamus, at least, he's the prototypical Vince champion. And if you have Otis getting endorsed by Foley, and you have a guy like John Cena telling him, you know, we believe in you, and, and even Steve Austin saying, look, I was the guy that Vince didn't want to be champion, and, and I believe in you, and you don't treat him like he's an over-the-top comedic goof, and you do treat him like a Mick Foley, you can theoretically tell that story of the ultimate underdog uh, the redemption of Dusty Rhodes in the WWF, getting his chance to main event WrestleMania and unseat Sheamus and be the ultimate everyman who, who wins the title. So, so sad you, that looking like that is the everyman now. That's <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, in any other generations, like <laughs> in the 1960s, they wouldn't have think, thought he was human. They would have just killed him. You know? <laughs> oh, this isn't a real... This isn't a real thing. I mean, this is his biggest struggle outside of diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> How would you book him, Scott? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I what I love about your idea is you're absolutely right. You need everybody on his side. And unfortunately, my storyline didn't do that. Basically, you know, whoever's the champion at the time, completely fat shaming him, you know, telling him, you know, you need to shed the weight and him coming back with you need to shed the hate. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> just the audience is enabling him. And, um, and we cheer when he eats things. And, uh, <laughs> and it's unfortunate and uncomfortable, but he wins. And most people are happy because, you know, when you're full, you're happy. This How they haven't made a shirt for him that says Fat Chance. <laughs> with, with the title. Like, that's oh, I money left that. on the table. That ties in with the Vince thing, too. You know, no chance. Fat yeah. chance, oh, fat, fat chance in hell. It's got to happen. Well, no, guys, but the, like when I said book to the main event of WrestleMania, I didn't mean like good. Like I don't, I think there's an easy way to do it. This is actually the most realistic way. Is you have him 
in a hot dog eating contest against the Rosie O'Donnell impersonator. And Trump would still come for that. So the president of the United States is behind them watching while there's a hot dog eating contest. I love and it. Trump helps Otis win the hot dog eating contest. And we pan out on Trump and Otis raising each other's hands. So, so just to be clear, in your uh, book, this future, isn't what I want personally. Trump has been reelected. Trump has been reelected. I can live with a hot dog eating contest main eventing WrestleMania, but in your world, Trump was reelected president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, no, I, like the, I, I like that he's no longer the president and this is what he has to do by next year. <laughs> that, that would be, be fucking beautiful. I would, I would cheer that. Oh, my goodness. If he, <laughs> if he had no choice but to work for the WWE this time next year. Uh, I kind of hope that he, he doesn't get reelected and Vince is so disgusted with him that after he loses, Vince removes him from the Hall of Fame because he doesn't stomach losers. <laughs> Well, you know what I, I was just thinking about with Trump is like, because you know, like if he gets voted out in November, which you know, fingers fucking crossed, right? Um, but if if he gets voted out in November, they're gonna give him something like a conservative cable news channel or like a or like a conservative podcast network, and that thing is gonna go out of business in like a year or two, and we're gonna realize that like a guy who couldn't keep a podcast network afloat was running our country for four fucking years. Cause they're gonna, fucking somebody's gonna give him a ton of money as soon as this is over for him to start some sort of, you know, low key fucking like uh, Republican slash white supremacist organization. I think he's gonna, he's gonna be great on InfoWars. Uh, I think he's gonna do, he's gonna, he's gonna have a, a weird internet show where he's sitting at a desk with like a bunch of old timey microphones around him and, and sound effects. And it's going to be sponsored by those weird vitamins that, that sponsor Infowars and, and maybe Blue Chew can get on with it. And, or he just goes the other way and, and just turns back into who he was before, which is the, the, the kind of left wing guy who's definitely had a number of abortions performed in his name, who used to go on Letterman and was kind of entertaining in a perverse way. What's really, what's really fucking tragic is when this guy dies, he has to have the funeral for a president. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he gets that no matter what. It's fucking crazy that we have to sit there hey, Can someday. you imagine, like, the people saying goodbye to that coffin, like Kid Rock slowly walking up, <laughs> you know, now, kissing it? Do you think George W. Bush is jealous of Trump's heat? <laughs> like he I, was he was the best heel that i thought we were going to have in our political lifetime well and I will, he didn't even last eight years the, the thing about bush was like he genuinely always he even always came off like he was just like oh shit i i don't know trump is like confident about the fact that he's a piece of shit and bush was just like i'm a piece of shit i'm ah ah like there was there was at least some sort of remorse um but yeah, I guess that's for that's another. Fair. I guess that's for another podcast. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I mean, like, just to you know, add two cents on that. Like, I'm nervous that the next president is going to make us miss Trump. Like, it's going to be like Steve King or something. It's impossible. Oh, I mean, yeah, that that can't happen. Well, I, I think everyone's learned their learned their lesson in theory with uh, with Trump. But the the good news is that. 
regardless of what happens in the next four or, or eight years, we're getting closer and closer to Dwayne Johnson as our next commander in chief. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't want that job. Why the fuck would he take that job? If he didn't want that job, he wouldn't have released that video. That was a very. You think so? That was a very, that was, that was, I, I never fully bought into this idea that, that Johnson was going to ever have true political aspirations. Um, he's always kept his nose clean. He had the cleanest, most amicable divorce in the history of the universe, where he still works with his ex-wife and his current wife, and everybody's happy. Uh, they're really, despite the stories that have existed about his dad, uh, he has been Teflon his entire life, and he has been a pro wrestler and an actor, and there's really nothing bad about him. And he has built this brand of positivity Look, I'm and not then saying he, gives, he wouldn't be a good candidate. I just don't think it's going to – I just don't know why a guy like that would – like, because when you open yourself for a presidential run, it's very different than, oh, you yeah. know, like, you know, and it, it, than just being looked at as a Hollywood celebrity. So, I mean, I think they would dig up some stuff. They sure. might try, but he's so universally beloved, and he, some, he seems to come down on the right side of pretty much every issue. But that, that speech he gave, that, that little video of – the absence of leadership, looking directly into the camera. Trump showed that if you use pro wrestling tactics, you can get elected president. That was 100% what, what Trump did. This was the first ever Vince McMahon built presidential candidate. And <laughs> there's no better promo than, than The Rock when it comes to galvanizing an audience. And he put himself front and center with this particular uh, speech. Uh, video, whatever you want to call it, in a way where nobody can really kind of poo-poo it or claim he's virtue signaling or any of that. I thought it was a very presidential-ish kind of move. Yeah, but I think when, you know, I think everybody kind of has a responsibility to like speak up right now. And anybody worth any sense is going to come off more presidential than the president right now. Like, it, it really does feel like everybody's like, you know, hey, we do realize what's going on now, right? Like it's, I mean, I sometimes when I start talking, I'm like, Jesus, I, I'm starting to sound like I'm making a speech. But it's just like when things like this happen, you do have to kind of speak up. I mean, especially when when you're a fig, you know, a public figure like that. I mean, people who don't speak up are kind of coming off like fucking idiots right now. I'll definitely agree with you on that. I just think for for him, the way he carried himself. If he chose to go down that path, I think he'd be very successful. And I think what's ultimately going to happen is he's already the, the highest grossing movie star that there is. He's building his media empire. Eventually that hits a ceiling where it's not scratching whatever that itch is. And if you have that kind of, of ego and that kind of drive and someone tells you you have a shot at being president, I, I think he might take it. Yeah, I, 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 th I think that's a great point that um... – that when you become so famous, uh, the next step is actually like social. Um, you you have to become an activist. Like that's that is the next step. You have to. I mean, you saw it with like Car Kim Kardashian, even you know, where like you become so such in the public eye that it's like, what else is there besides giving back or something you know I, I yeah i right. noticed that a lot so you're right you're right no, yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's possible and i think he would he could easily win i just would you guys <laughs> say hottest if, if if that's true hottest president ever I mean, that was a taft guy you know but i like him a little big <laughs> <laughs> 
I like William Henry Harrison, not necessarily built to last, but gets the most out of that short window of time. <laughs> uh, Andrew Jackson. I also have Martin, I have Martin Van Buren sideburns right now, so I'm kind of biased. <laughs> uh, number seven, what should WWE do with Nia Jack? Speaking of The Rock, here's The Rock's relative. Can you put plexiglass around her opponents? <laughs> uh, do you th- do you think she should be sent back to dub- a d- a developmental? Is this not big of a deal, or uh, should she be let go? I'm starting to think Kyrie Sane owes her money because <laughs> she's given her a concussion. She split her head open. Naya has always sort of had this reputation of being reckless the problem that she poses for the wwe is she's one of their total divas stars she's one of their big body image positive uh spokespeople that they always like to use she's related to the rock they're sort of saddled with her i think what they're gonna have to start doing is is put her into titus o'neill world or mark henry world where she starts doing a lot of like she goes to the Special Olympics and she's a, she's a liaison and she reads to kids and they keep her out of the ring because eventually people are not going to want to work with her, especially if she keeps injuring almost everybody she's in there with. It's a liability. Yeah, that's the move for sure. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it's tough because she's, uh, you know, like it's a good part of, it's good to have somebody who's body positive and everything, but when you're literally twice the size of your opponent, and you fuck something up, it can be a life or death situation. Well, I mean, somebody has to be retraining her, right? There's no way they're actually completely ignoring this. Or is it possible that they are completely ignoring this? I'm sure that they're working with her as best as they can, but eventually you have to, you have to, you know, fish or cut bait. And she's had years and years of training and the safest period of time for the women's division was when she was on the shelf. You know, she, the fact that she almost cost them Becky Lynch at Becky Lynch's height is, is amazing. I mean, that, that, that they almost lost Becky versus Ronda from ever really happening because she, you know, bloodied up her, her face and, and they wouldn't clear Becky to wrestle at, at a point in time where, where Becky Lynch was the hottest wrestler in the business and Nia Jax, continues to come back and continues to get pushed. But every time they give her another chance, she finds a way to hurt someone. Yeah. It's a skill. Yeah, you're absolutely right. She can't do it. Number eight, Dave Meltzer says that John Jones stopping looters may be a work. What do you guys think? I think Dave Meltzer needs to sit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the fuck are you doing? What's crazy is like, you know, he could use his powers for good. He's so good with numbers and stats. It's like, oh, he has been. Have you been listening to yes, him? He's not true. Like- he 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 is. Uh, um, I, and I do love that. He he really is like. Um, he's very progressive. He's very. He's spoken yes, out a lot. Of he is. He is calling people out, and um, he again, he has the ability to to retain information and throw it back at people, um, which is excellent during a time like this. But uh. <laughs> yeah it's not so it's like it's like dave Meltzer is basically what a very intelligent parrot can do dude like i don't even care if it was a work like dave just again sit this one out let tmz report that 
Yeah, I think you don't that want to year, be the guy who's wrong about that. No. no. Years of covering pro wrestling has turned him into a weird conspiracy theorist. I want to hear his take on 9-11 and the Kennedy assassination at this point. <laughs> Just all of, you know, Lincoln, the Lincoln assassination was a work. He, he didn't come yeah. out and, like, fully say that it was a work, but he was, like, kind of inferred. Which, you know, I mean, look, his point was John Jones and Dana White. He made sure to include Dana White. <laughs> have, both, uh, have both, like, lied a lot, which, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty undebatable. But, yeah, I, 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 Scott, I think you're right. You, you really want to sit this one out. Yeah, you have to. Or if he's right, and this is, like, the thing with that guy from Empire, Melcher's going to look like a genius. <laughs> it definitely wouldn't be the thing uh, – with Empire, because John Jones would literally just go, ah, you got me, and then just do, like, go to a strip club and, like, drink a fucking gallon of Grey Goose. I mean, he's not going to – if John Jones is not – once John – if John Jones – if John Jones did this and he is a guy who fled from the scene of a pregnant lady's accident to go grab a bag of money and then run into the woods or whatever the fuck happened, uh, if he did this, he's not going to put up that much of a fight, I don't think. I mean, that guy – do, do we know? Do we know where the you know this conspiracy originates from? I think it's just like a a literally a feeling that David had. David had. Yeah, that's a that's a strange one. <laughs> let's hope. Yeah, let's hope David's wrong. Let's hope the looter is not really an indie worker and somebody recognizes him. <laughs> yeah. Ganya paid Lee Harvey Oswald to shoot Kennedy. <laughs> Well, it just would be hilarious. Like, Pineapple Pete, is that you? Like, yeah, that's what I was going to have more run after the Jericho thing. It didn't work out. Oh, gosh. I like Ganya doing doing the Kennedy assassination just to hurt the Texas market. Like, take that, Von Erics. <laughs> oh, man. Number nine, Fighter Fest over two nights. Also, let's review Dynamite. So, yeah, like, what, what do you think about Dynamite so far, Robert? To be fair, if this is the first time you watched it, I will say this was one of the weaker episodes of Dynamite I've seen. The last two after the pay-per-view haven't been great, and I've really enjoyed the product so far. But watching these two hours, what did you notice? So I watched in the beginning quite a bit, and then it, it just became too much to try to keep up with, with everything. Um, I think part of what really stands out to me is a lot of their talent just seems kind of confusing to me. I feel like there are certain guys that should be treated as truly major stars. And since AEW Dynamite has come on, the, the shine has kind of worn off on them. I think the first would be Kenny Omega, who before being exposed on a, on a weekly wrestling show, at least the way that he was uh, worshipped, in America was this guy's a major event. And anytime he's in the ring, you need to tune in. And now he's a dude in a tag team. And they, they are, they're trying very hard to not show favoritism towards the, uh, the original crew that founded it. I get it. But that to me is a little perplexing. What's even more troubling is they're falling very quickly into the TNA trap. Any guy that leaves, WWE or a name somewhere else, they kind of plug them in and push them to the top. And, and some of these are guys that I absolutely love. I think Brody Lee is, is one of the best talents that there has been out there, and he was criminally underused. But you go from your world champion facing 
Brody Lee, who just jumped from or was left from WWE. So now he's facing Brian Cage. Your, your homegrown talent is, is kind of getting marginalized. And I think that that's just going to wind up continuing as a, as a pattern potentially over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the problem is, I think, is that all their homegrown talent is like the stuff, like not the guys who founded it, but if it's like Jungle Boy, MJF, Darby Allen, um, like all those guys are super fucking young and small. And I feel like that that like they want a heavyweight contender who looks like he's going to be a threat, which is probably why they went with Brian Cage. I just don't think Brian Cage necessarily speaks to the AEW audience that they want to go after. It feels very much like something out of the Vince playbook. He's he's got the right look to him. I just don't think that that's really going to speak to who they're trying to build uh for their for for their audience well, and, and also you know you're you're debuting a guy who's supposed to be a monster and then within the next month and a half or so i mean he's clearly going to lose to moxley so he debuts as this monster and a month later he loses so where do you go from there yeah i was shocked that bro i mean brody lee had almost no representation on this show and he was the most recent outgoing number one contender. Yeah. 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 He was just kind of there for a cup of coffee when he did the whole Colt Cabana dark water thing. The, the only thing I, I could think is, is, you know, the real guys that they want to push, they want the audience back. And this is kind of a weird time where they're like, okay, well let's fill these guys in. And then when the world is back to normal, that's when we'll start pushing, you know, the Darby's and the hangman's the way we want to. Speaking of um, like kind of taking the, I don't know, the, the luster out, out of something new, NXT developmental has like an, like a seven, like a seven guy. There's a guy who's so fucking tall. It was like almost eight foot. And I saw him in the crowd for NXT or raw. And I'm like, why the fuck are you letting this guy just be a stand in? He should be, this should be your great collie spot. Like, I shouldn't know what this guy looks like. It's like when Braun showed up. I should not know what this guy looks like until, you know, he debuts. Yeah. Well, it makes me think to when they had Braun Strowman as a rosebud. And then you have footage of your unstoppable monster wearing a tutu and a clown wig. <laughs> that was yeah. hot, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I had to delete my, uh, my Google history after that. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. So what do you think about this Fighter Fest over two nights? You like the building up the normal um, TV shows into these uh, like kind of special pay per views? I, I, I like it a lot better than what WWE does, which is the same. You know, like, hey, are we gonna have you know what pay per view are we gonna build towards this month? You know, I think it works. Uh, it, it's the closest they're gonna come to doing their Clash of the Champions. It, it makes it feel like you're you're getting something for free that you're not supposed to. But I think in 2020. The, the average fan doesn't hold pay-per-views in the same high esteem that, that we probably do from growing up in, in a different era. I think right. that AEW has a, has a, a tough uh, road to climb by building to large pay-per-views because most of the audience is conditioned to pay $10 to watch the WWE Network. So pay-per-views really aren't that valued. I'll be curious to see what the ratings are for fire for fighter fest, but there's no real difference between that and just building up to a free title match on an episode of dynamite. 
Well, yeah. one thing I'll disagree with you on there is whenever AEW builds something like the cage match or the whipping of uh, Cody from MJF, they, they usually do a pretty big number. So I'm wondering, because like the last two weeks, they haven't really built up anything on their shows and they had one of their weakest numbers last night. I'm wondering if that has to do with anything. I think that audiences in general have shown what they think of empty arena or uh, paid to clap arena audiences. And they, they want the, the all or nothing. I think the hardcore fans, you're never going to lose them. But I think that WWE and AEW right now is learning that you just can't put something on TV and the audience is going to show up even if it is a, a higher quality or, or, or a decent quality product. And it's going to be tough to try to get fans back. I think there, it's going to be more challenging. Maybe promoting something like Fighter Fest is going to do that. I don't know what the numbers were for the Jericho Cruise shows versus their regular Dynamite shows. But you also then run into a, uh, a potential yeah, issue cool. of signaling to your fans when it's a regular episode of Dynamite you could probably skip it, but you don't want to skip the specialty branded episodes of Dynamite. Yeah. Well, I heard I, I, now this is just a rumor. I don't know if WWE announced it yet, but starting next week, it's like potentially a 50% capacity. Like they're going to let people in or something. Um, so they're normal capacity. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, what the Panthers would call a sellout. Yeah. And <laughs> You know, when, when you look at a performance center, it's like, okay, yeah, interesting, um, great. But I feel like a fan in Florida, well, I don't know what, what they're doing down there, but um, would feel more comfortable going to an AEW show where it's already outdoors. People feel way more comfortable hanging outside than they do inside with people. I mean, that hasn't been happening at all. So, so uh, as being in Florida right now, I can tell you go. that uh, – the the parts so they they've excluded uh three counties from this 50 percent rule i'm i'm in one of them i'm in palm beach county so palm beach broward miami dade the three counties that have the highest uh amount of, of cases we we haven't had that restriction lifted but other parts like tampa and orlando have and people do not care and they will they will look for any excuse to leave their home and show up at something so they'll, they'll go to an arena. Not to say that wrestling fans are less intelligent than other fans. That's, a, that's an ugly, awful stereotype. But some of these motherfuckers are incredibly stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, when like, like believing that the earth is flat is a moderate position as a wrestling fan. <laughs> Work for AJ Styles. It sure did. <laughs> Number 10, in your house predictions, are you watching NXT right now? I know you watched this last week, Robert, but are you watching it on a normal basis or now? Not on a normal basis. I, I, I'll drop in occasionally. Um, I, I'm a little more partial towards some of the guys in, in AEW that I worked with in, uh, in MLW, primarily MJF, uh, is uh, one of my favorite people and was one of my all-time favorite people to ever work with, collaborate with, create stuff with that, that yeah. kid is tremendous. Um, NXT, I'll always try to support uh, Swerve, Isaiah Scott. He was our, our MLW champion. He's another, when they give him a chance, he's going to be uh, fantastic. But uh, I thought it was funny because I hadn't 
clicked on in, in a little while and I come back in and I'm like, so Adam Cole is still the champion. Velveteen Dream is still the guy chasing after him for it. And the, the entire product just kind of feels like it's, it's primarily on a, on a treadmill. Uh, I'm glad that this is the last Dream Cole match that they're going to do. I don't know why they're doing this with the, um, the, the outside brawl with the car surrounding it, like they did with Eddie Guerrero years ago in the old SmackDown video game. But uh, someone's rental car is going to get smashed to shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's get to it um, prediction-wise. By the way, there's a good time to plug our Patreon. We will be uh, reviewing In Your House right after it happens this Sunday night. So, uh, you know, I know times are tough, but if you want to – Tune in, tune in. If not, we'll be back here next Thursday. Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. My pick is Finn Balor. I hope it's Finn Balor. Damian Priest, man, I just can't get on board with this guy. I always feel like he's, like, trying to have some sort of, like, real sex orgy every time. He, like, cuts a promo, you know? He's, like, that fake leather vest. Well, you know how Matt Hardy uh, in AEW is magic? Yeah. I feel like Priest's character should be just, he does magic. No, and it's I just agree. Like, yeah, it's just, like, not very good. And, like, in the match, he should, like, try to trick him with, like, his shitty, not-quite-learned magic, and it's just very unprofessional. <laughs> I mean, look, this is obviously a moment where they want to get a great match out of him, uh, and Finn Balor is a guy to do it with. I- I'm going to sit there and not buy it. I know, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not going to be very into it. And uh, that's okay. It, it, it's not the time. Uh, but what are you going to do? We're in a weird situation. Eh. You do Damian, see how good somebody is by putting him in the ring with Finn Balor. I will say that. I think Dam- Damian Priest, to me, whenever I see him, looks like the shaman from Wayne's World 2 portraying the shaman from the Doors movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So I can't unsee that. <laughs> the fact that they haven't pulled Finn back to Raw at this point when they are desperate for stars is still kind of baffling because I think he had right now more than ever, that guy would have tremendous value on, on the raw roster when I don't know that he's necessarily moving the needle in NXT. And I don't think so. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I, a heel version of him would be great for uh, Drew McIntyre to play off of maybe have Drew be the first guy who beats the demon or whatever. That that still hasn't happened in the WWE, so that still has value. But the longer he's off TV, the casual fan that just watches Raw and just watches SmackDown has forgotten that Finn Balor even exists. You're right. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa versus Karrion Cross. Man, Gotta this be is cross. predictable fucking pay-per-view. Yeah, Karrion yeah. Cross too. I'm looking at this lineup. I'm like, there's not one match. I mean, I guess Finn could lose, but for the most part, I just, I don't know. I don't know. If you have Finn lose, uh, they've completely dropped the ball on this guy. And, and, and he should, if he's still passionate about the idea of, like, getting over, he should consider not resigning. Right. But at, but at the same time, why is Finn on essentially the developmental brand beating the future stars if he's supposed to be there to theoretically give them give them the rub. It's a very strange position to put him in because he's basically competing the way that an older veteran should. And he has a lot more left in the tank that can be useful, but you can't have him down in NXT beating young talent 
But if he's losing to young talent, it's continuing to knock any luster that may be on him off. Yeah. He still feels like new talent, which is, which is uh, so telling of how they've been booking him since day one. Yeah, one thing, you know, one thing I really liked about Dynamite, I really liked the Jungle Boy Cody Rhodes match. And WWE desperately tries to do that match. Because, like, every Cody match, I think, is, like, the best version of a WWE match. Like, a lot of a lot of the booking you'll see is, like, oh, this is, like, when WWE is good. You know, like, even, like, the Kabuki that he uses and shit. Uh, but, yeah, I, th- I think that, like, that was a great – WWE can't do that. They, they still haven't figured that match out where – you know, the person, it's clear, you know, there's a winner, but this person's still really good and they've got a lot of upside. When they do do it, it's it's like few and far between. I, I just don't, I don't know. They don't really know how to make people. They got away with that a lot when they did the John Cena U.S. Open Challenge. I feel like that little run Love that, that Cena had was, was some of the best work of his career. And that's, that's what helped true. establish they- Kevin Owens. But that was, you're talking about five years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And and I think Cody's trying very hard to not only be Dusty, but he's also trying to be Flair. Uh, he's he's like Ronan Farrow, where it's Woody Allen and Frank Sinatra might both be his dad. And he's trying to appease both of them. So <laughs> he wants to do that Ric Flair thing of put me in the ring with anybody on the roster and I'm going to make them look like a million bucks. The, the problem is Cody isn't necessarily that talent to be able to really do that with anybody, but with the right person, like a, a jungle boy, uh, he can, he can get away with it and do that. Uh, but, but back to, uh, to Tommaso. Yeah. He's kind of in a, in a strange spot of trying to put this, uh, this cross guy over. Uh, he's not killer cross. He's Cameron cross. Carrying cross. Yeah. Like carrying a cross. It's the worst. No, no. Carrying is like, I thought that they meant it like carrying, like that's that's dead. That's like something that's dead. Carrying, yeah, it's irrelevant. Like- it sounds like carrying. Oh yeah, it's another ex TNA dude who's now in WWE. I'm just hoping that they don't do this like uh, Undertaker and Great Kali, where Cross just squashes him for the shock value. Oh, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I, I think the only reason I would think NXT wouldn't do that is because people, the people that do tune in, tune in for matches. And um, I think people are dying to see this. And yeah, I think he goes over. Does he cheat? I mean, yeah, maybe I I would, I wouldn't have him cheat. I'd have him win clean and, uh, and then they'll fight again soon. Yeah. I, I, I think that the, um, um, I just hope that I, I just hope that Champa doesn't land on his neck. <laughs> like Cross is uh, his side suplex. It looks amazing, but it also looks like he fucking kills the guy. Yeah. So that's actually, you know what? That's your out. He hits that move. Referee steps in, stops the match. They stretch your Champa out of there. You don't get yeah, a pin. I, mean, I guess that keeps Champa strong, right? It keeps him from getting pinned. It, it tells the story that Cross is a killer because they're trying to establish this as a, a devastating move. And if he hits this on – even if he hits it on him on the outside and they have to do the stretcher job on him, it's a way of beating Ciampa without necessarily beating him, gives him the, the reason to return. And in the interim, uh, carrying the Cross can uh, continue to be a, an unstoppable monster. That's a very – yeah, that's a very uh, old-school WWE gimmick. Uh, Keith Lee versus Johnny Gargano for the North American Championship. Who do you guys got? 
I mean, I, I think Keith Lee is definitely overmatched by the bigger, stronger, meaner <laughs> heel, Johnny Gargano. This is the toughest one for me. Um, I want to say Keith Lee, but, you know, they really are dedicated to this heel turn so uh, of uh, Gargano. So, you know, maybe well, this they, is where you see him cheat to win. They poked him in the eye with keys. So do you think Keith Lee comes out with an eye patch? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Uh, Alvarez yeah. and Meltzer bring that. I, I don't know. I, I don't think the WWE has that. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're as married to their consistency as AEW. How many times have you like? So you would just see Vince forget about plot lines in the room, right? There was. There's one instance that I will. As long as I live, I'll never forget it. We were building uh, Undertaker versus Randy and Bob Orton on pay per view. And the idea was we were going to do a SmackDown main event of Randy Orton versus The Undertaker. And the idea was uh, a, a fuck finish so that we can build to the pay-per-view. And then at the very last meeting of the 100 meetings, Pat out of nowhere just goes, ah, I think Taker should just beat him clean. I'm like, what? And Vince is like, all right, let's do it. As if he completely forgets the entire point of this was to build that you want to see Undertaker get his hands on them at the pay-per-view. And the main event of SmackDown saw Undertaker tombstone and pin Randy Orton clean and end the show uh, celebrating. So why the fuck would you buy a pay-per-view? Wow. For wow. example. NXT Women's Championship. Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai. Uh, I think Charlotte retains. I know who Asuka's rooting for. I think she she wants Charlotte back on Raw desperately. Um, I, I think Char, Charlotte being the, uh, the the one who's on every single show, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, is is fine. It's it was a cute gimmick for a little while, but her slumming it in NXT, it doesn't feel like she's down there because she genuinely cares. It does feel like she's slumming it to try to pop ratings, and it hasn't worked. And uh, I think well, it's that, only going to hurt her. I guess the rating that she had last week was pretty good. Like, her segment was pretty good. Um, but, no, it hasn't been, like, you know, putting, like, the fucking rock on or something or or even somebody like a John Cena. You know, it, it definitely does not had – it has not had that effect. Well, sure. you know, because you look at it, the fact that it's a triple threat and you immediately go, oh, they don't want um, Charlotte to be pinned and she can still – you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you take it away from her too soon. Does she still st stick around in NXT and try to regain it if she loses? You yeah. could probably get a one-on-one -on -one out, of, out of whoever wins it. But if she beats Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley, who's, who's the next challenger yeah. for her no, that's on that brand? Exactly. And, and it, it, it's got to come back to Rhea in the end, right? I mean, that's their goal is down the road is – yeah, they're Rhea trying to make it. a megastar out of Rhea, but I, even then, I would almost wait until Charlotte had a main roster title and do the switch. Then, yeah, yeah. I'm in favor of of anything that gets her back onto a main roster where I don't have to see Tamina wrestle ever again. You're right. And lastly, but not leastly, Adam Cole versus the Velveteen Dream in a backlot brawl. I think the Dream wins. Really? Yeah. That would be interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, I, it's kind of crazy because he's like one of the – he had like – he had one of the like 
greatest like NXT runs, and then they put him in the main event. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. Well, I, I think, think the reason is 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 no fans. It's you know COVID nineteen. That, um, that's why that's why he's got to lose. That's why they put this stipulation on it. Mm. Now that I think about it, the whole reason why it's if he loses, he never gets a shot at Adam Cole again. The idea is Cole can hold this title for as long as there are not fans present, but they do not want to lose Velveteen's big anointing crowning moment of being world champion for the first time. They've already lost that for Drew. They've already lost that for Braun. They're not going to want to lose that for, uh, for Velveteen. I, I, I hope so. I, I, I'm a firm believer in um, you don't necessarily have to push forward with, you know, all of these storylines like you intended. I, I, I think we can get some like B, B-side storylines right now um, and B-side finishes. Uh, because it's so much more important to have people there for those moments. You, you're just you're just you're just throwing away money with a lot of these guys if you give them titles when there's nobody there to root for them. I mean, imagine what that Drake Maverick moment would have looked like if there was a crowd. Well, no, fuck that Drake Maverick moment is my Thank opinion. Thank you. I, I'm glad you said that. I would I, I would I would hope that the fans would boo that and boo him. Um, it is such like a strain. It's such bitch shit. It's so uncomfortable. Um, they're at fault, but he's also absolutely at fault. He, it's, it's just really, really gross. I saw Leo Rush post something about it, and I don't even think he was harsh enough. I think they need to be like absolutely condemned for this. Like this is so gross, man. Like people were fired. He was he was fired. Yeah, well, uh, you know, exactly, it's like, exactly. It, it's it's one of those things where they they're trying to make this a, a a feel good positive story, and it really isn't. I know they're trying to quietly hire back a bunch of people if they if they can, both on camera and behind the scenes. Uh, but this here was was trying to make Hunter look like the the grand baby face of here's your contract. But if on TV. Drake Maverick had any value in the in within the the kayfabe world of of NXT? Why would they have ever let him go in the first place? Yeah, yeah. But it felt like years ago when there was the uh, the late night wars and Jay Leno had a press conference where they decided that they weren't getting rid of him, and he's like, "You're all here celebrating that I wasn't fired," and that was kind of what this was. This was the crowd cheering that a dude who got fired from the company wasn't still fired after busting his ass for the last several weeks being theoretically unemployed. Yeah. Yes. And, Sorry. And, and um, no, no, go ahead. I honestly kind of forgot. No, it just, the whole angle feels like WWE burning her house down, you sobbing and being like, just kidding. We saved the guest bedroom. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you can live in there. I, I just, yes. I, I'm, I'm shocked at how many people are okay with this. I mean, I could be wrong, uh, but didn't Alvarez? I mean, I know for sure Alvarez tweeted like that. That was a beautiful moment at the end, or some shit. He liked it. Yeah, I mean, there's some the people fuck? that really. That's so inconsistent. I, See, I, the better I, thing would have been. I, I, I understand they liked the angle in a vacuum. They liked the angle in a vacuum, but like, how can you like anything in a vacuum with WWE? It would have been more interesting if he took the contract and threw it down. Exactly, and he should have. He should have fucking. For a shoot. Oh, I, I meant for, for, for within the storyline context, that would have been a, a different thing. Because then you really, playing uh, up the whole 
jaded, like, screw you, I don't need your your charity or pity or whatever it is. And then you have him as a guy who doesn't work there and maybe he he comes into place somewhere else. He's hiding in one of the cars at in your house and he costs Velveteen dream the title or something. Just off the top of my head. But that at least makes a more interesting character than look at this pathetic loser who was fired and still kept showing up when he wasn't getting paid fighting for the chance to get a job when all these people in the crowd who are standing there clapping have that job. And now he's getting a contract for less money to go to the same place he was working at who thought nothing of just dismissing him. Yeah. It's too but Yeah. He's gross. a baby face. It's the worst. It's, it's the absolute worst. I seriously think like people should turn off their televisions when that part of the show airs. He was the, he was one of the dumbest cuts that they made because of the value that, that he as a performer has as a, as a wrestler, as a, uh, a manager, as somebody who can cut promos, who can do backstage, who is just a good morale person to have around getting rid of him in the first place was a really dumb idea on their part. Yeah. I, I think, I do think though, it shows how clearly like how much of a nice guy he was that not enough, cause not enough guys have come out and been like, fuck this. And I think that's to protect this nice guy that they know, Drake Maverick, you know? Um, but, yeah, really gross move. What I, I thought that, like, all right, well, the swerve is going to be that he's – the luchadors are, are in, you know, cahoots with him. And also, I just thought that was, like, a very British thing, like, have men with masks attack me from the shadows. It's, like, a very British bad guy thing to do. But, yeah. uh, no, I that, kind of did That's the, actually the – yeah. That's the okay. WWE HR team. That's how they uh, they get rid of you. <laughs> Two guys in lucha masks come up to you. Best of luck in your future endeavors. And you're gone. Uh, uh, well, we gotta, well, I mean, we got to end on that. There's nothing better than that. Folks, I'm not going to uh, – no plugs except for, you know, support Black Lives Matter, the NAACP. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that you can support online. But do you have any plugs, Robert? <laughs> Just you mean realized, after that? I put you in the worst position possible. <laughs> I mean, but Dan's yeah, stuck in a fucking Patreon plug. Even the Patreon plug, I was like, all right. I mean, you know, yeah. If you're gonna spend your money this week, guys, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe wait till next week. But if you are a Patreon subscriber, we fucking uh, we love you. And um, yeah, please donate to where you can. And um, and if you're looking for links as to where to donate, uh, I happen to have retweeted one on my Twitter account at www.creative underscore ish. So feel free to follow me. That's how you subtly slide in a plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've absolutely you know dedicated my Instagram to um to different you know um causes and and links and petitions to sign oh, and charities. And it's all pro fracking. It is like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to say, as with like a, as a thumbs up, as much as as much as sometimes social media can be murky and weird, especially wrestling social media. Um, I had I tweeted out uh, the there was the link that a bunch of people had put to one of the, uh, to one of these websites that was sort of an aggregator for all the information about how to donate and learn and all that, and not a single person replied to me with anything shitty which has almost never had, I was expecting somebody to, you know, come up with something really Some just awful bullshit. Yeah. Not That's because you didn't post it on thing. Facebook. 
oh, Facebook is just a cesspool of uh, Trump-related uh, minion memes and pictures of people's kids, except yeah, for right. my kids. My kids are awesome. Other people's kids, just, I don't need to see that shit. I, I'm, I'm shocked that with like a quarter million Twitter followers that, that you didn't get any pushback from that. I'm shocked because anytime I do something remotely to make fun of uh, something political, there's always a couple of uh, MAGA-related people who'll come at me with, uh, with pitchforks. Um, especially because I pointed out how unbelievably uncomfortable the end of Raw was, all things considered. That this was a pre-taped yeah. show, but it goes off the air with, with Lashley basically putting the sleeper hold and choking out Drew. And I'm like, you guys couldn't have rethought or reshot this in the last week. You had plenty of time to do it. It just that that to me was weirdly a weird poor taste on their part. Uh, yeah, well, me and Scott were rewatching. Um, uh, actually, this is for Patreon. Don't buy Patreon this week, guys. I was wrong. No, 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 no. Of course, like I mean, dude, it's fuck. Here, bottom line is it's five bucks, and you know whatever. But yes, okay, continue. Yeah, no, no, this week, though, but we were watching. We were watching all the CM Punk stuff, and there's a point where Vince McMahon acknowledges Occupy Wall Street, and it's the weirdest. He goes, You're, they're just voicing their opinions like every American is entitled to. Like, he's, like, bizarrely, like, like almost, like, an equal, like, he, like, gives Occupy Wall Street their moment in the sun, which is just very not on brand for him. Oh, he, well, he likes, the thing is, he likes to think of himself as an everyman. So he loves, like, he genuinely loves Martin Luther King Jr. So when they do those MLK packages, that's Vince. Uh, that's why MLK was the, the poster in Teddy Long's office when he was GM. Like, he genuinely has a love and appreciation for him. He has a love and appreciation for troops. He has hatred of the Wall Street people because, you know, they don't understand my business and, and they, they tried to keep me out. So he likes to see himself as, as one of those everyman types. Uh, even though, you know, if Vince is the everyman, then we are so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on that. Thank you guys uh, so much. Uh, hey, if you're, if you are uh, going to protest, just stay safe. Uh, and uh, if you don't get sick, you know, be careful there. All right. Well, thank you for uh, tuning in. And thanks so much, Robert. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Really appreciated it.